Welcome to Broadcast 1132. You can join us live every Sunday during our worship experience in Allen, Texas or at church1132.com. Jump in. We're going to go to Joshua chapter 24. Uh, this is a series that we've been in on the family, and uh, it, it's a challenging series because anytime you talk about people that you love greatly, there's also a lot of pain because the people that can hurt you the most are the people that you love the most. And it, it, it's interesting how that works. And so this is Home is What You Make It, part two. Home is what you make it, part two. Joshua chapter 24, verse 15. I'm just going to read for the sake of time the, the part of the scripture we've been using. It's the, the, the last half of it. And it says, but as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Now, this is a great declaration. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. This is a great declaration, and I wish that this just happened because we said it. But the truth is, this is a great idea, and this is a great concept, and this is a great goal. But just because we say it doesn't mean it's going to happen. And so in this series, we're talking about home is actually a combination of what we create and what we allow. Home is what we make it. We, can, we create the home life, the family life that we live in. In Psalm 127, verse 1, we use this scripture uh, for our message two weeks ago. It says, unless the Lord builds the house. The builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. What does this mean? This means that God has to be the architect. He's got to be the master builder. He's got to be in charge. He's got to be the guy that we yield to. He's got to be the guy that we submit to. And when he is building, then our building is not in vain. So let me say it this way. We've been saying it this way. If the Lord builds the family, then the parents don't parent in vain. But if, on the, on the other side of that, if the Lord doesn't build the family, a lot of our parenting can be in vain. Our interrelation, our, our relationships in our family can be in vain because it's natural, it's natural battle, it's a natural war. But when the Lord builds the house, when the Lord builds a house, then our work is not in vain. And today we're going to Nehemiah in the Old Testament. Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 13. And uh, I think we'll read all the way through verse 17 just because I love the Word of God. And uh, we're going we're to read through it. It says in Nehemiah, this is a, a time in history where the walls of Jerusalem had been torn down. And uh, this was the city of God it had been torn down. And Nehemiah goes back on a, a mission to rebuild the walls. He believes that God spoke to him that he is supposed to rebuild the walls that have been torn down by war, torn down by the enemy. And so he says, I'm going to go back and I'm going to rebuild the walls. In verse 13 of chapter 4, it says, Therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places. So there was exposed places in the wall, and he knew he needed to protect them, and this is how he protected them. He posted them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families. Fight for your sons. Fight for your daughters. Fight for your wives. It's plural there, but this is New Testament, okay? So let's just, let's just clear that up right now. Wife, singular. And your homes. 
When our enemies heard that we were aware, somebody got like real excited about this. I was like, wives, interesting, I like this church. Uh, When our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to our own work. From that day on, half of my men did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. The officers posted themselves behind all the people of Judah who were building the wall. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other hand. I want to talk about this for our our moments together is I want to talk about how to make a home what you want it by not just being a builder and not just being a fighter, but by being a builder and a fighter. I, I want to talk about holding a weapon in one hand and a tool in the other hand. I want to talk about how to build what you want while you defend what you have because there is a difference and you do need both. Nehemiah is rebuilding the wall and he says, wherever there are exposed places, I am going to post a family. I was listening to a message by a a guy I love to hear preach, Jensen Franklin, uh, pastors of a phenomenal church, Free Chapel, and he he was teaching on on this text, and the Holy Spirit began to speak to me, and, and, and I felt like the Lord spoke to me and said that the city cannot be rebuilt until the families take their place. Because he says that the the walls were broken down and every place there was an exposed place where the enemy could come in, he posted a family. And that family would stand there with a tool in one hand and a weapon in the other hand, which tells us that they worked while there was no war, but when the war came, they were ready to fight. And I have this problem, I have this this worry at times that we have families that don't know how to fight. We've got families that don't know how to really stand up against the attacks and the wiles of the enemy or even our culture, and we have just adapted. We have been carried downstream by the current of our culture, and we just have what we have. So today, we want to say that home is not just what we have. Home is what we make it. And to make it, you have to learn to be both a builder and a fighter. We need families to take their place in the wall again. I don't know if it's you this morning, but maybe it is, that we need some families to take their place in the wall again. When we're talking about the family, this is what, this is what I've been thinking about, is when we're talking about the family, it's about trajectory. Trajectory is so important, because we look at the family and we see what it is. But what the family is is not what it's always going to be. The family is on a trajectory. So what I'm more concerned when I look at the family than I am where they are right now is what is the trajectory. Because you can see by where they've been and where they are now where they will end up. Now I know we hope that just by a kid getting out of diapers and getting potty trained that your whole trajectory of your family is going to change. Or because you're high school or went to college, your whole trajectory is going to change. Jamie and I were at a wedding this weekend, and, and uh, we're sitting down uh, with some, her aunt and uncle and, and uh, their childhood or their, their high school friends. They've been friends for 45 years, and now they're at this wedding together. And, and uh, so we were talking. They're interested in our kids, and we're telling them we got a three-year-old and a two-year-old, and we're fighting to keep our head above water. And they're like, yeah, isn't that nice? And then you just think. As soon as they start to walk, as soon as they can entertain themselves, as soon as they go to school, as soon as they go to middle school, as soon as they, he goes, I'm just going to, I'm going to save you some trouble. It never stops. He goes, here we are at this wedding, and I'm still 
reaching in the pocket. It never stops. I'm going to tell you, just because the season changes does not mean your trajectory will change. You have to be intentional by, on changing the trajectory. What is the trajectory? This is the point of origin where you are and where you are going. Did you know on a flight pattern, if the trajectory is off, I mean, even in the smallest measurement, over the course of time, it could lead on a 10-hour flight, you could be miles off course by a small mistake in the very beginning. I'm going to tell you it's the same with our families. You've got to check your trajectory because it's not going to change overnight if you're not intentional about what you're doing and you're not intentional to change it. We're working on the trajectory of our own home, and my son Jude is going through some interesting stages, and I got a call from his teacher at our preschool here at the church. Um, and teacher asked to talk to me, and so I come in, talk to her. It's weird being on that side of things. And, and so I'm like, yes, am I in trouble? And No, you're not in trouble. We just need to talk. I'm like, okay, wh what happened? And she said, well, a Jude was in the bathroom for a really long time. I said, well, you know, that's kind of normal sometimes. And she's like, no, for a really long time. And so, so I knocked on the door, and when I went in there, he wasn't using the bathroom. He, he was obvious he was hiding something. And he had taken some toys that it was not time to play with anymore, and he'd hidden them in his pants. Usually takes someone a long time to learn where to hide things like that, and, and he, he learned it. He just, he just knew where, to, where that should go. And so he, he put it in his pants, and so we talked about it, and we did some discipline, and we got home that night, and I was telling Jamie about it, and, and uh, we were talking and saying sorry, and I'm getting him undressed <laughs> to, to get in the bath. And, I mean, this is a little graphic, but I pulled his, I pulled down, you know, he's pulled off his underwear to get him in the bath. And out of his, um, out, out of his underwear fell two Montessori counting tools that he had conveniently hidden in his, um, we're going to start having to do cavity searches for preschool. I mean, it's like, dude, what are you doing? He thought maybe, just maybe, we, we already apologized, we already walked through everything, and, and, and here he is, he's got, he's got two more, so he had to go take those back and um, give them back, which I don't know if they really wanted them, but it, it's about the trajectory, okay, it's the principle, and so hopefully they threw them away or really sanitized them, but we're trying to talk to him, and, and it is funny, but honestly, Jamie and I, we're like, man, this is sad, because you can shelter them as much as you want, and you can pray as hard as you want, and you can try to protect every interaction, but deep down in every person, there's evil. There's, it's just there. I didn't teach him to lie. I didn't teach him to, it's just, it's in us to do things. So I'm gonna tell you this, we raise animals, we train children. And most people, unfortunately have just given up their life and given up their home to what it is and so now we just we just raise kids no you train kids you you, you train them 
You, you teach them. The proverb says this, that if you teach a child in the right ways, make them walk in the right path, then when they're old, they will not forget about it. They will not forsake it. They will not turn away. And so we've had some conversations with Jude with his first line and his first stealing, and we're teaching him because we want to set the trajectory right now. You know what somebody told me? Oh, it's not that big deal. Everybody does it. No, it's a big deal to me because if I continue that trajectory when he's 17 and stealing and lying, See, we let things go now because we think they're not a big deal. But the trajectory, I don't care about the Montessori tools. I care that he lied. I care that there was a moral compromise. I care that, that his character was compromised and he could not tell the truth about what he wanted or what he was doing. And even at three years old, yes, I am. Well, don't be too hard on him, Pastor. Listen, I'm really concerned about that. He's well taken care of. He is well spoiled. Trust me. Y'all make sure of that. But I'm going to make sure that trajectory is set straight, and I think we all need to just look at our families and look at the tra trajectory, and if we're not heading in the direction that we want, we have to change directions. I heard Jensen Franklin say this, up until 15 years old, children will do what you tell them to do. I'm like, well, that's positive. It's like some faith talk right there. He says, but after 15 years old, they will do only what you showed them to do. It's heavy. Only what you showed them to do. Up until 15 years old, they, you still have a chance to just tell them to do something. And maybe they'll, maybe, maybe they'll do it. But after 15 years old, they just do what they've seen. They, they follow the example. They, it is easier to do what they've seen than to hear what you say. It is easier for them because they watch us all the time. They watch us all the time. Your children, whether you think you have a good relationship or not, are watching you all of the time. There, there's a law, uh, it's, it's called the second law of thermodynamics. If you know the laws of thermodynamics, I'm going to give you a very simplified term. So, uh, the second law of thermodynamics is the law of entropy, but it says this. Anything left alone by itself will diminish in quality unless affected by an outside source. And some of you can probably say it like the official way. This is, a, this is layman's terms for the second law of thermodynamics. It basically means that anything left alone by itself will diminish in quality. It will not get better. It, it, it doesn't, my home is not just gonna get better unless it's affected by an outside source, and that outside source is you. Whether you're a child, whether you're a parent, whether you're a grandparent, whether you're an aunt, whether you're an uncle, you are an outside source that can change the trajectory of your family. Well, I'm not in charge, how can I, can, how can I do it? You carry an atmosphere with your life. You carry something with who you are and what you do. And if you can set your own trajectory and you can focus on you, I'm telling you, over time, and this thing is not a sprint, it's a marathon. Your family is not a sprint, it's a marathon. You're not seeing change right now, just make sure the trajectory is right. Make sure that, because in 14 years, those decisions today, they're going to make a difference. I was thinking about this, families taking their place in the wall, and um, I, I wrote down a couple things I thought were, were really key for us as we're talking about this series. And the first thing is, don't fight out of fear. Don't fight out of fear. They, they were establishing the fighting positions with the soldiers taking their place, and instead of trained soldiers, they placed families. 
And when the families took their place in a battle, the tendency is to be full of fear. And let me say it this way. When you're parenting, and I don't know if you've experienced this, we're early on in this. Some of you are veterans, okay? So, But I saw this in my mom and dad raising us five kids. I've seen this already in myself. There are times where fear tries to step in and tries to squelch out your faith. Because what you can see right now is dysfunction. What you see right now is rebellion. What you see right now is no changing. It's been seven years and no changes. But you have to be able to hold on to faith that overcomes that fear that we are still going to see a turnaround, that there's still going to be a change, that we're still going to see a breakthrough in whoever's life that you're believing in. We must believe We must pray, we must speak, we must teach from a place of faith. So your children need to hear you speak from faith, not from fear, which sounds like this. A place of fear is always telling them the bad things that will happen if they don't or if they do that. Faith is telling them what they can be. It's telling them what's in them. It's speaking to their character. It's speaking to their ability. I've told some of the men this before, but in, in our family, and I learned this from Jamie's parents who have six kids. Jamie's one of six and phenomenal parents. We were just with him this weekend. and Me and Jamie are talking about just, just amazing examples of godliness and, and love. And, and one of the things that they always said was that I thought was so amazing is that when their child did something great, when they did something uh, with great character, they would say, that's just like you. See, it's a place of faith. It's saying, yeah, that's right. That's just like you. You told the truth. That's just like you. Not like, oh, wow. Okay, finally told the truth. After three years of lies, finally got it. You finally cleaned your room. Wow, and I should be proud of you. You finally got an A, and we should, what What do you want me to do? Bow down? No, no, from faith. That's just like you. That's just what I thought you would do. That's just how I thought you were. I know it took you a little while, but you did it. And I'm proud that you overcame your flesh. I'm proud that you overcame everything that was going on in your mind. And you did what you were supposed to. You cannot fight out of fear. If you're fighting out of fear, you've already lost. You have to fight and have a stance and have a posture of faith. You have to teach the right behavior and allow the heart time to catch up. Teach the right behavior and allow the hard time to catch up. I was speaking a couple weeks ago, if if you missed it, when we started this series. It's a difficult series for me to do because I have a three-year-old and a two-year-old. So I'm, I'm speaking to family dynamics and even parenting stages that I have not personally walked through yet. And so I battled with the Lord on this series because I didn't want to do or try to speak to something that I had not already walked through. To me, that's a really big deal. It's one of my values. And the Lord began to speak to me two different things. One is that through Jamie and I, we've got to see two amazing set of parents. And then two, there are things biblically that God lines out through his word that we just need to see and be steered towards. And so my job is not try to tell you how to parent a teenager because I have not parented a teenager. My job is to try to point you to biblical principles and draw from biblical models like my mom and dad and like Craig and Connie Klein who have raised kids and have walked through every single stage imaginable and some of the things that I saw them do, and this is something that I saw them do, especially Craig and Connie, this is one of their strengths, is they always fought 
from faith. Even in the darkest of times, they're going to come around. Oh, they're struggling. It's all right. They're going to be all right. They're going to come around. We still believe in them. We still didn't get so bent out of shape that they couldn't even have interaction or have relationship. Something I learned from Pastor Steve and Lisa. He told me, he, Pastor Steve, one time he said, never lose relationship. In the midst of discipline, in the midst of consequences, in the midst of anger, in the midst of frustration, he said, don't lose relationship. If you lose relationship, you've lost everything. And I've seen him do that with all three of his children. Maintain relationships through valleys, through dark seasons, through times where maybe they were praying for, for a breakthrough to happen in, in a child's life. And I've seen them stay strong and fight from faith. This is what I think we should just do with our kids is call them what you want them to be until they become it. We're so good at seeing what they aren't and trying to get them to where they should be. But maybe we should call out what we see deep down in them and just keep on calling them it until they become it. I, I tell Jude all the time, and this is not very spiritual, but I tell him all the time, you, you, you are the fastest kid I ever saw. So you, you are so strong. You are so strong. And, and, and so now he likes, he likes to flex now. And, and so he says, you know, he he's flexes all kinds of different ways. And, and he's like, Dad, is this right? Is this right? And we were gone this weekend, and, and he pulled up, and he said, Dad, I've been working out. Is this right? I said, yeah, boy, that's right. That is right. You are strong. You're strong. I've said it so many times to him. He believes it. He believes it. We were loading up the car. And I was trying to pick something up. I had like four suitcases trying to pick it up, traveling with kids. And, and uh, he goes, Daddy, it's okay. I got it. I'm strong. And something clicked in my spirit. How does he know he's strong? Because I told him he was. What are we telling them? What have we pulled out? What have, what have we seen in their heart and in the depths of their soul? Seen it and been stubborn about it to not let go. No, you are great. No, you are amazing. I don't care what your behavior shows me. I don't care what your mouth said to me. I see deep down in that heart there's greatness in you. And I'm not letting go until it actually comes out and I see it in your day-to-day -day life. I'm stubborn. I got, a, I got a lockjaw on your greatness. I'm not letting Go. Call them what you want them to be until they become it. Speak what you want to see. And let me just say this. You have to have the faith to outlast dysfunction. We teach this in our discipleship classes when you're discipling someone. But I'm going to tell you this. In families, this could be one of the greatest keys of all time. You have to have a love that outlasts dysfunction. You know what? I've never seen time heal I've never seen anything heal wounds like time. Time goes by. Time goes by. And you know what? Sometimes it takes a long time. But if you can be faithful and if you can outlast it. See, what happens is a lot of times when, we're, when there's dysfunction, we withdraw from dysfunction. And when we withdraw from dysfunction, by the time they come around, we're not there anymore. And then they're hurt by our absence when we were hurt by their dysfunction. And now you have two hurts trying to work together, and it doesn't work. And you're wondering why your relationship doesn't work. I'm going to tell you, what you have to do is you have to stand there in faith, even when it's not fair, and even when they should have changed already, even when they should have responded already, and be a loving example of what God would be in their life. And by the time they come back around, still be there. Second one is don't build out of frustration. Don't fight out of fear and don't build 
out of frustration. You got to fight and you got to build, but you can't fight out of fear and you can't build out of frustration. Frustration is a result of a couple of things. Frustration is a result of unresolved issues. Frustration is a result of uncommunicated problems. Frustration is a result of unrealistic expectations. These three things can almost sum up every frustration. Unresolved issues, uncommunicated problems, and unrealistic expectations. When we put these on people, I'm just telling you there's frustration that happens. And I'm going to say something really bold. And I don't know your situation, but I'm going to just make a blanket statement. And hopefully it will speak to you in some way. Frustration is usually, let me just make it personal to me. Frustration is my fault. No, it's those kids. I'm going to tell you something. Frustration is my fault. I've got to deal with the frustration in my own heart. I've got, well, they did, and she did, and he did. I've got to deal with me. The Holy Spirit's job is to deal with them and your spouse and what you think they should be. You've got to deal with you. We were at the marriage conference this last weekend, and just like the theme of the marriage conference was, you work on you. It is not someone else's fault. It's your fault. In, in the nicest way possible, basically saying that the Holy Spirit, it, it, what you're encountering is not your fault, but your reaction or your response is your responsibility. And we were talking about this, and we were saying, it's not your spouse. Don't be open to your spouse. It's you. It's you. And, and I was walking out of the hallway, and I heard this lady say, man, I hope so-and-so heard that. And I'm like, wait. We literally just said, you are the problem. Because that problem can only be affected by you. That's why we're the problem is because we only have power over us. We don't have power over anybody else. We've got to deal with us. Frustrations result of unresolved issues, uncommunicated problems, or unrealistic expectations. It is unfair to harbor frustration about something that has never been communicated. You know what I find in families a lot of times? We talk to family members about the hurt with the other family member, but the other family member never hears about it. They get to feel your awkwardness. They get to feel your distance. They get to feel that weirdness that something's wrong. But they've never been approached with enough love that says, I love you enough to not let something come in between this relationship. We tell our staff, where there's no communication, there's vain imagination. If, I, if you haven't told me anything, then it's left to my own mind. And that is a scary place. If I'm just thinking what I felt could be true, no, I need your words Men, your family needs your words. They need you to say that you're proud and say that you love them and say that you're going to be there tomorrow and say that we're going to church and say that out of your mouth, well, my actions speak louder than my words. You need some words. Your words should line up with your actions and amplify everything you do. But your actions should not be void of words. They should work in tandem with one another. And that's what gives you credibility is the words and the actions going in sync with one another and moving in unity and unison with one another. We've got to communicate to one another. 
I speak to families all the time, marriages all the time, where there is no communication. They can even come to a marriage counseling session and talk one-on-one about the issue. But when you bring the spouse in this, into the room, they cannot communicate it. I'm going to tell you, you can never resolve anything if you're not willing to talk about it. The last one this morning is don't quit until you win. Don't fight out of fear. Don't build out of frustration. And do not quit until you win. I'm going to say this based on our message a couple weeks ago. It's never too late for a remodel. It is, I'm just going to say this again because I'm going to prophetically declare this into your home and into your family and into your relationships. It is never too late for a remodel. Well, he must be talking to so-and-so because my, uh, mine's, mine is good as gone. No, it is never too late for a remodel. I remember, and we've been championing this story in our church for a while, but David and Vicki Coe are amazing man and woman of God. They, their story is phenomenal. He, was, he needed Jesus bad, and uh, she couldn't have it. She had had enough with him, and, and uh, they got divorced, and uh, 13 years they were divorced. No thought of restoration, no thought of getting back together until David started working on David. And when David started working on David, he didn't, still didn't even think there was a chance. He just said, God, if you could give me somebody like I had in Vicky, then I won't mess this one up. God said, well, how about Vicky? Like, if that's what you want. I think we underestimate God sometimes. Maybe we should just ask bigger. Maybe we should ask more specifically. Maybe we should ask really clearly what we need to see and what we want to see. So he asked, and Vicky came around, and they counsel marriages now. They're in our stories book. I'm not supposed to say that. They're in that book. <laughs> Oops. And it is amazing what God has done. 13 years. I have a hard time believing for 13 weeks, 13 days, 13 years, as dead as dead can be. And God said, I'm I didn't see it as dead. I was just waiting for you to get in the right position. See, we used these the, the first week when we talked about this just to represent the homes that we're building. And a lot of times we build crooked and we build wrong and we don't have, we really don't have the audacity or the courage to go back and repair what we built wrong. So we just build our kids crooked because we don't have the humility to go back and say we're sorry. So we just limp through with a passionless marriage because we don't have the, I'm trying to think of the Sunday morning word for this. Um, we, we, don't have the, we don't have the guts, still a little. Uh, we don't have the courage, there you go, there you go. We don't have the courage to communicate. Communicate. To begin to talk to one another. I heard this illustration from Pastor Neeson, one of my mentors, and it's just stuck in my head. I taught it to our men at M30, and I want to show you it as we close today. They're going to put it up on the, on the screen. But you've got an opportunity in your family to choose what you are. And what we have is we have a thermostat and a thermometer. And a thermometer will read the temperature. That's it. You know, this is how many, this is how many of us live our family lives. We walk in and this family's terrible. Good job. You read the temperature. Ah, this house is a mess. 
Good job. You read the temperature. Oh, everyone's angry. Good job. You read the temperature. But that's all you're doing is reading. God didn't create you to be a reader. He created you to be a changer. And if I'm a thermometer, I can only read. But if I'm a thermostat, then I have the ability to set. I have the ability to change. I have the ability to make a difference. I have, I have one of these Nest thermostats, pretty cool. And so I have this in my house. And when, when, when you turn it, and you turn it to the, to the specific temperature that you want, which is interesting, it reads the temperature, so it tells it's hot in here. So then we've got to adjust it. So we can turn down. Let's put it on 72. We're going to cool it to 72. And then it says, in an hour and a half, it will reach this temperature. And I think this is where we lose a lot of families. It's because we said it, but we didn't see it. We said it, but we didn't see it. And after you've said it so many times and you haven't seen it, you just stop setting it and settle for reading it. And so you know your marriage is bad because you can read, but you stopped setting it because you hadn't given it the time that it needed to adjust. Because even with modern technology, I can turn my temperature, I can turn my thermostat, and I can turn it down to 72. But even in 2017, it takes some time for that air to start flowing and for it to cool the house. And the bigger the house, the longer it takes. Maybe God's got a big call on your life. Maybe God's got a giant call for you and your wife. So maybe it's going to take a little time to set it right. Because the enemy doesn't want to see you stand in the gap. The enemy doesn't want to see you stand in the gap in the city. You know what we need in our city? You know what we need in this community? We need families that are set in the wall, that are taking up their position with a sword in one hand and a tool in the other hand. We're builders and fighters. We're builders and fighters. We're builders and fighters. We defend what God gave us and we build what God put in our heart. We're thermostats. We'll set the temperature of our home. We set the temperature of our marriage. We set the temperature of our children. We have the power to be not just a reader, but a setter. A setter. A setter. A setter. I'll give you one last scripture because I didn't read a verse on purpose that totally sums up everything that I'm talking about because it says this. It says this in Nehemiah. It says, you got to fight for your family. Fight for your wife. Wife. Singular. Fight for your kids. Fight for your home. you you got to fight. And then it says down in Nehemiah chapter 4 verse 20. It says, wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. Our God will fight for us. Okay, okay, this is good. This is good news. I fight for my family, and God fights for me. I fight for my family, and God fights for me. I'm going to tell you, this is not a matter of flesh and blood. This is an, this is an attack against the family. There is an enemy that is real, and that is after your marriage, and after your children, and I'm just going to tell you, we need some fighters and some builders standing up in the wall, and if you can be faithful to stand the test of time, to outlast dysfunction, to fight for your family, God's promise in Nehemiah chapter 4 verse 20 is he will fight for you. How good is that news? 
How good is that news? Because if I had to do it by myself, honestly, I might fight out of fear. But now that I know that the battle is not mine, but it's the Lord's, I just have to fight. I've got to stand. Really, all I have to do is be in position and set the right temperature. When I set the temperature on my thermostat, I don't run around the house with a fan trying to cool it down to that temperature. I don't strive to try to cool. Okay, turn 72, open the windows, the doors, I'm fanning, turn on the fan. Come on, cool this place down. Leave the fridge open, leave the freezer open. Try to get some air circulating in here. We just got to make it happen. This is how many of us are running our homes. No, this is what we believe. Now, God, you're the engine. You're the heating unit. You're the cooling unit. you got to do what only you can do. I've tried to change him. He hadn't changed. I tried to change her. She hadn't changed. Yeah. But now, because we've fought for it, because we've set the right temperature, now we allow God to go to work. We said at the marriage conference, my marriage, like, took off when I stopped trying to set Jamie and set the culture of our home. When I took my hands off her life and said, I'm going to set me. Because I'm the only, you know, if you try to set them, that's called control. It's ugly. You can't control them. You got to set you. You got to set you. And then allow God to move. And allow the wind of the Holy Spirit to blow in your life. And begin to cool areas that need to be cooled. And begin to heat areas that need to be heated. And to be, see your home made into what God wants it to be. You've got to build with the end in sight. You can't just build reactionary, just throwing pieces everywhere. you got to build with a blueprint, and the blueprint comes from the Lord. And if you can set it right, if you can just, if you can just set it right, God will build it right. But I'm going to tell you, some of you, and this is how we're going to close, some of us have not set it right. Some of us are crooked today. Some of us are not stable today. And I'm just going to tell you, that's all right. The remodel can start right now. The remodel can start right now. Now, the remodel can start. Some of you are doubting this even as I'm saying it. But I'm going to tell you, I'm going to keep on saying it. The remodel can start right now. It's too late, Pastor. The remodel can start right now. It's too far gone, Pastor. You don't even know her. The, The remodel can start right now. And the longer you wait, the more expensive it is and the more difficult it is to try to come back and to fix what has been left. It's better just to deal with it right now. Would you stand with me? Thanks for listening. You can find out more about us at church1132.com.